welcome to Connectivity 225. I'm your host, Nicholas Bray, and today I'm joined by Brian Rose. What's up? And Curtis Bonds. Oh, oh, I mean, hi. (laughs) Yes, and uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about Banjo-Kazooie and uh, a bit about the collectathon sort of subgenre in general. Um, So, yeah, you guys... I know Kurtz is sort of a big fan of the banjo games. Um, Brian, what, like, what's your sort of take a, take on the on the banjo games? I've played the first one and I really enjoyed it, and I've tried playing the second one. I have both on the Xbox, and I, I've been playing the second one, or at least I've been trying to, but things just happen, and I haven't really had a chance to just sit down and play through it all. But I have played through the first one, and I really enjoyed that one. And also, I mean, we, I, we're not, not going to talk about it because it's a Xbox one, but I played the the third game and it sucks, so. We don't speak of the third <laughs> yeah, game yeah, in we this don't house. Think, yeah, yeah, we don't speak about that game. So before we, we jump into sort of our th- main thoughts on, on the game, I thought we'd just have a peruse across sort of a bit of the history and the early development of it. Um, so as most people know, the Banjo game started... Um, started out as a game called Project Dream for the Super Nintendo. Um, it was being made by like the Donkey Kong Country uh, team, I think. And they started sort of uh, messing around with um, with uh, late Super Nintendo pre-rendered stuff, I think, for the um, for this Project Dream game, which was I think it was going to be some sort of like weird like adventure game, like pirate. Um, I like think they went through thing? several concepts. I've I've seen a video of this recently. Um, mm. It was very recently that they showed footage of this for the first time. Project Dream. It, it was supposed to be a Super Nintendo game, and yeah, it was supposed to be more of an RPG game than a platformer. And um, they, I think they said that they were going to borrow heavily from JRPGs and stuff like that. But it seems um, like it's, it's sort of coming back in a weird way with Rare's current um, game, yeah, Sea of Thieves. That's true. Because it was going to be a pirate sort of thing. And um, so the development sort of fell apart on that. And uh, they ended up refocusing on uh, a game that was modeled after Mario 64, which is obviously Banjo-Kazooie. Banjo, the character, actually came from... Like, he was going to be a side character in Dream. And they ended up sort of taking that character and adapting it to um, Banjo-Kazooie, obviously probably heavily redesigning whatever the original bear was going to be. Um, and then, yeah, they ended up going along and adding in Kazooie. And I think it started out with um, the backpack on Banjo was just like going to have wings that sprouted out so he could fly, but then yeah, ended up turning yeah. it into a character. Um, so, yeah, um, Banjo-Kazooie came out in, what, 1998? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it started development in 97. Yeah, okay. It started development in March 1997 with uh, a team of about 10 people. And the, the the team grew to about 15 by the end by the end of the game. So 15 people made Banjo-Kazooie. Uh, that's, a, that's amazing that's, considering yeah. today's uh, game development uh, scenario. I know, it's crazy. It's like mm-hmm. the same amount of people that made Mario 64 as well. And like today there's teams of like hundreds of people yes and the man and the men and they managed to make that make that entire game in less than two years which is kind of again amazing if you think about it you have these teams of just like dozens if not hundreds of people and sometimes they 
you know, they don't even see the light of day for another, like, three years. Yeah, like, especially, like, because um, later on, Rare sort of became infamous for, like, taking ages to put games out on the 360 and the Xbox. Like, they just sort mm-hmm. of... Yeah, but they but they years. managed. Yeah, but they managed to just spit one out. I mean, I don't I don't want to say it in like a derogatory or yeah. like you know, negative sense because you know they made some quality ass games. On I mean, the N64. They, they were on like on fire during like nineteen ninety five to two thousand one. They just pumped out so many games for the sixty four. Mm-hmm. Um, another little tidbit of information is that. Um, the the characters, the graphics to render the uh, Banjo Kazooie. Um, they used minimal amounts of like texturing on the on the main characters, but ended up going with like the largest size textures possible on the sixty four for like the rest of the game. So it's like sixty four by sixty four um, texture size, I guess, like the resolution of the texture. So and like even today, I when even like when you play on the Xbox three sixty, um, the textures and stuff look look pretty nice. Um, considering, yeah, I was. Yeah, I was kind of surprised just how nice that game looked. Uh, you know, consider considering it was such an old game in retrospect. But like, you know, I I never really played it that much on the N64. Like I saw it a lot, my friends played it a lot, mm-hmm. but I didn't actually get my I didn't really get like deep deep into it until I bought the 360 version. And yeah, I was kind of blown away how how just how much the game just kind of held up like visually i mean the gameplay gameplay of course but like visually it was still kind of stunning it holds up way way better than mario 64 which really doesn't graphically hold up yeah 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 there was, i mean it mm. it's uh i mean it's it's the first of its kind so i mean i i kind of i kind of give it some slack for that but at the same time it's just you look at something like mario 64 compared to banjo kazooie and it's like Oh yeah, yeah, I can I can see where <laughs> I this can see is the result really... of two years of development compared to Mario sixty four, which it was launch title. Mm-hmm. You see how far the how much Nintendo sixty four could go with a game like Banjo Kazooie, mm-hmm. and like yeah, even can, then you compare Banjo uh, Kazooie to Banjo Tooie, and the graphic leap is even like it's, it's pretty great again. Um, I was watching uh, Beta 64 last night. I think Beta 64. Anyway, I was watching something about Magic Kazooie, and um, the like, even like stuff with like the water in Banjo Kazooie. It was just like a, it's just like a flat texture with like animated um, ripples and stuff on the top of it. But on Banjo Tooie, the water was all like three dimensional and like could uh, the waves and stuff could like ripple yeah. and move and stuff like. So that was that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Banjo Tooie that that came out in uh, two thousand, right? Yeah, yeah, two thousand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just like let's see. Uh, so yeah, that was just like barely a two year difference between uh, Banjo between Banjo Kazooie and you know Banjo Tooie, and seeing that big of a leap, not only graphically but just the world in general. Like I was like. Even playing it like back to back with Banjo Kazooie on the 360, I was still just kind of taken aback at just how much they managed to, you know, just increase like every single aspect of that game. Mm. Like, and considering both were on the same platform within the span of two years, you can do so much more with that same engine. It's just 
really goes to show how talented those people at Rare really were. And, and when you like think about it, it's like weird to think that um, 1998 you had Banjo Kazooie. 1999, you had DK64, and then 2000, you had Banjo-Tooie. Yeah. Like, yeah, DK64, that was 99, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I kind of I kind of forget, like, the timeline of, of those games, because... I mean, it, I, it was a technically a different team that worked on DK64, yeah. but there was a bit of crossover with some of the staff mm-hmm. members. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and, like, DK64 uh, adapted a cut level from Banjo-Kazooie, um, Fungi Forest was going to be in banjo originally but that was kind yeah of... you you know what that does that. that level does actually feel i always felt like the fungi forest uh level in dk64 felt a little i don't want to say out of place because it's a great level yeah but like it did it it always seemed like that much more special mm. like compared to mo- the other worlds in dk64 and as you guys know if you if you listen to uh you know Radio Free Nintendo, uh, last episode that I was on there, uh, I kind of shared my, uh, sh- ashamed, ashamed reverence for Donkey Kong 64. Like, I know it's a garbage game, but I absolutely, <laughs> I absolutely love every single aspect of it. I mean, garbage, I mean, garbage in the sense of how games should be designed. Like, I know, I know there's a lot of issues with that game, but god damn it, I love it so much. You know, I played it for like, properly for the first time a couple of like a year and a half ago and you know i i didn't expect to try and get everything but i ended up getting everything yeah and, i 100 percent of that game like multiple times yeah as a kid. <laughs> and i actually enjoyed it like yeah we're not talking about dk at the moment but yeah i did i sort of did enjoy playing that at the time and i didn't think i would get into it as much as i did but anyway let's go back to banjo kazooie so we'll we'll start uh just sort of talking a bit about like our time back in the day with the game and some of our thoughts. So, Kurt, do you want to go ahead and uh, start that off? Yeah, sure. So, like I was saying earlier, I never really played much of Banjo-Kazooie as a kid. Uh, and I was 12 at the time. And I... we Our family wasn't really poor, per se, but we were definitely limited on uh, the kinds of the how many games like I was able to play during the year whether it be through blockbuster rentals or you know outright actually buying games so stuff like Banjo-Kazooie just kind of took a backseat to things I knew I would enjoy and some things I thought I would enjoy like uh the Rugrats PS1 game or Paperboy 64 and uh yeah those weren't great but uh I kind of wish I could tell myself hey Try Banjo-Kazooie. You will absolutely love it. And considering how much, again, I love Donkey Kong 64, I'm just surprised that I never really gave Banjo-Kazooie or Banjo-Tooie any further thought than just, like, watching my friends play or talk about them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, years later, they they both came out on uh, Xbox 360 HD remasters and, uh, you know, some much-needed improvements not only with the camera, but how you progress and getting the notes and stuff. Oh, man, yeah, the, the like notes that. in Banjo-Kazooie being deleted every time you die or leave the level, it's just evil. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it, I, I don't true. even... Yeah, I can't even imagine how frustrating that would be, that would have been if I actually played it back then. But uh, I'm, I'm still glad I ended up giving it a shot because I, cause I, I absolutely fell in love with Banjo-Kazooie. Like, right away. Like, I was, like, 
from the moment I started it to the moment I finished it, when I struck the final blow, well, I didn't strike the final blow to Grunty, but, uh, but beating, finally getting to the end and beating Grunty was just like a phenomenal experience. I just, there is so much soul and character and care just put into the entire experience. Uh, it was, I'm just, I was just, I was, like I said, I was just absolutely in love with everything about that game. From, I mean, the one thing I didn't really love was, was like, I kind of did get lost a little bit in, uh, in, uh, inside, like, Runty's cave. Yeah, I, I still like, I still do, like, in the, the later, like, sections of the, the lair, I still got to sort of get confused and forget what door leads to where. Yeah, yeah. So I, I tend, I never really memorized, like, which pot led to which place in the, in, in the cave, so I just kind of, uh, I just kind of ran everywhere, or walked everywhere, yeah. and hopefully I found where exactly I needed to go. But, uh, yeah, just even replaying, even replaying the game like a year ago, uh, it really, I started realizing just what I loved about that game, what I loved about, you know, that kind of genre of 3D platformer is that everything had, every single thing, every single item, every single person you talked to had their own story. Even if it's just a few sentences long, they have they have some sort of motive for what they're doing, what they're protecting, and just their own personality. Even something as small as a Christmas light or some polar bear that ate too much and isn't going home to his kids because he's a lazy sack of crap. Um, <laughs> but uh, I just I just love discovering every single little thing in. What ended up actually being kind of compact worlds, at least in Banjo Kazooie, like I was kind of surprised how much character and thought they put into what is generally kind of a small area, like yeah. in, in each area, like Mumbo's Mountain and Freezy Peak and the desert area was like realistically speaking, they're all like kind of small, but they feel so much bigger because there's so many things to talk to, so many things to discover and find and manipulate and, uh, and a control, like, and it all controls really well. I mean, there's some things here and there that were like maybe narrow platforms or something that were like a little, little on the iffy side. Like, you know, not everything about the game is perfect, but you know, for something as ambitious as that game, uh, I'll kind of let it slide, especially in the 360 version where yeah. things are, definitely improved with the camera i'm not sure and, uh, I'm, I'm not sure they did improve the camera work in the game though like i don't remember them talking about that because i i if i remember if i remember right i uh the, the camera in the 360 version of the game you had like kind of free reign over it because it was a stick rather than buttons uh, yeah. Okay. So, Maybe they gave it full analog controls. yeah full analog control on the camera yeah, which that's why i liked about it yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, even the, it, and all the writing, all the writing, like I said, like I said, the writing is, it's childish, but at the same time, it's incredibly endearing, like, all the characters are really funny. It's like, and, um, like, the jokes and stuff are, like, dad jokes, in a way, they're, like, grin-worthy, yeah. but, like, mm -hmm. funny at the same yeah, time. Yeah, they're, they're corny, but they're corny, the way yeah. that the game is, 
I, I love the back works. and forth between um, like bottles and kazooie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh man, that was that was a high pot. I I always loved finding bottles and seeing just how much of an asshole <laughs> Kazooie was to him for no real reason. <laughs> I, I don't know if it was it exactly in this game, it might be in later games, but I kind of just like how it's self-aware at times. And I, I just kind of like that. I think it's funny because you know, Mario games don't kind of have that like kind of, I don't know if it's, you want to call it fourth wall humor. I think that might be in later titles, but I kind of, what I like about this series in general is that it's kind of a bit more, um, fun. Yeah, the way the, ri- the writing is, it's mm-hmm. a bit more fun. Yeah, yeah. It, it, not, knows it doesn't take a, itself too seriously. Yeah, it knows it's a video game. It knows yeah. some of the premises are a bit silly. And at the same time, it just takes it seriously enough where it's, you don't really you don't really think about how silly some of the things are. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, anything else I wanted to talk about Banjo Kazooie? Uh, it was uh... oh, how could I forget the music? You know, Grant Kirkhope's absolutely brilliant soundtrack in that game. Just like I still hum some of those songs yeah. every single day. Ch- Jolly like, Roger Bay. Oh what? yeah, Jolly Roger Bay. That's in really, two. Yeah. yeah, that's a really. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that in two weeks? Yeah. I think that's in it's, oh, um, the one you're thinking of for like, Treasure Trove Cove. Oh, Treasure Trove Cove. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, Freezy Sea Peak, I, I also really like. I mean, I'm, I'm always a sucker for Christmas themed, like anything. Yeah, so. I, I love, so love, uh, Rare's winter levels. They always knock it out of the park with, like, the coloring and the music. Mm-hmm. And, like, even in, like, Ukulele has brought that back, like, the color of the snow and the world and that, in that game. Is I mm-hmm. just like the '64? How they used yeah, to do that's, that? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's where I'm. Uh, I just I'm making my way through the snow level in ukulele, so I'm yeah. That that music is definitely helping that stage out a lot. I mean, the stage is already really cool, but the music definitely is a uh, is uh, in line with uh, Rare's best. And like in Banjo, they had a lot of the uh, dynamic music, uh, which was sort of like a thing on the '64. Like, Nintendo did it a lot with, like, Ocarina of Time and, and stuff like that. But, like, yeah, Banjo, they do it a lot. Like, even when you go underwater, it becomes all... The, the level of music becomes all muffled. And, yeah, yeah. You know, it sounds like you're underwater. Uh, that's that's nice touch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember specifically in uh, Treasure Trove Cove when you uh, are fighting that one, uh, the hermit crab, and you have to go inside the hermit crab's shell, and it yeah. is more of, like, kind of a soft calypso. Well, mm. not, it's already a calypso theme, but it's... A little more echoey, a little more ambient. Yeah. But it still like kind of continues on from you know when you entered it. And I really and like I was... going up high in in the game too because it usually drops the music and it's just sound effects when you up really yeah. high. Mm-hmm. I think it does that in other levels besides Treasure Trove Cove. I think it might do it on Freeze Easy as well. Yeah, it's just I think it's just more memorable in Treasure Trove Cove yeah. because it's the first point in the game where you can kind of see the entire level in in that regard mm. where you can get just so high and just like take in everything's like wow this is next gen <laughs> i can see i can see i can see the beach wow so um brian when did you f- first play kazooie I remember getting it as a birthday present in, like, I think the year it came out, or maybe 1999, I forget which. But I didn't really 
play it for some reason. I, I guess I just didn't get into it. It wasn't until the Xbox 360 version came out, and that's where I, I mm. really played it. And I, I, uh, I think I got to the final boss, and I didn't beat the final boss. I, I think there's like towards the end, there's like a uh, a quiz, yeah, kind of thing. I I beat that, but I didn't beat the last very last part with the Gruntilda. Yeah, the big battle with Gruntilda. I, I don't know why, but it's kind of hard and, and kind of annoying. It, it is hard. It yeah, is hard Gruntilda's fight is really really hard. I I remember like. I I think I was streaming. I, I was streaming the finale finale of that game. I was streaming my entire first like actual playthrough of that game, and I thought I was like, oh, I was like, oh yeah, this uh, we're getting to the Gruntilla fight. This is probably going to be a shorter stream than usual, and it ended up being a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think I got every single like one of the extra power ups that like doubled your health bar and stuff. So it was it was extra extra. Oh yeah, yeah. That's I, actually, I that's forget really if helpful. I did that too. But yeah, I, I played pretty far into it, and I really enjoyed it. I don't know why I didn't enjoy it the first time. I guess I don't know. I guess I was just into other games at the time. But um, what I like about the game is is that it does follow the Mario sixty four formula at times, but it's also like I said, it's very. It doesn't take itself seriously. It's it's funny. It's the characters are all very cool. I really like them. I like Kazooie the most. She's, she's pretty funny. Um, uh, the graphics are really excellent for the time. Um, and, and the thing about it is the game is not... Ex- except for the Gratilda fight, which I didn't get into. Uh, most of the game isn't that hard. It, it, it's like... It, it gives you enough challenge to where it's challenging, but it's not, like, discouraging. It's very easy to get into, and it's very easy to go through the game without having v- much of a problem. As long as you know what you need to do. Yeah. And it's yeah. easy to collect enough notes to get to Gruntilda and all the final stage stuff. So I really like that part of the game. Um, and yeah, yeah it's... I was the, gonna say, yeah, the only, yeah, the only issue, like, yeah, generally it wasn't that hard, but yeah, the only time I actually felt like it was a huge, huge undertaking, like, maybe in retro, in retrospect it wasn't as hard as I was expecting. As I'm like striving it to be, but uh, yeah, Click Clock Wood was definitely kind of a huge step up from the other levels. Yeah, I was gonna bring that up. I remember having some problems with that. Yeah, because like most most of the other levels are kind of like self-explanatory. You go to this yeah. place and it's just like, oh, you have to go in here and find you know the character or find the thing and find your way around. And it's just like it. I mean, it's not always straightforward, but it's like simple enough for you to really get in get into. Uh, just get in and out. Whereas Click Clock Wood, you have to just keep a freaking flow chart <laughs> of uh, <laughs> yeah. what does what. I mean, at least at least to me. I mean, I can't speak for people that have been playing this for the past nineteen years. Wow, came out nineteen years ago. I feel really freaking yeah. old now. <laughs> but oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a uh, it was de- it was definitely a trip when I got to that level. It was like, oh, okay, this is gonna take some time. It's because it's yeah, it's so like it's a lot more non-linear than the other, even the other yeah. levels because you got to go to the different seasons and like the different different something you do in one season will affect the other one and like stuff like that. Um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely. I remember now. It's a bit more trickier than the other stages. That you have to go through all the seasons and stuff and switch. Yeah, you have to go make, all get... through the seasons, and depending on what you do during one season, it changes something yeah. 
uh, in the other season because of yeah. you know just how that could changes. be kind of a chore. Uh, it can be, yeah. but I thought it, I in in the end I thought it was still really cool. It was still yeah. really unique. It's a it's, they, it's, it's a fun it's a nice looking level, and um, yeah. but it is difficult, like annoyingly difficult because like I kept dying or falling off the stupid tree and like platforms up there because they're like so thin. It's hard to to you know even when you're going slow, it's really easy to slip off the side of a platform because they're so small, like. They really should have um, made some of those platforms like bigger to make it easier to just simply walk walk yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. Because like I, I guess they made it that way because oh, it's meant to be it's meant to be challenging and hard. But some of those things you got to jump to and stuff is just insane. Yeah, that was that was like one that was maybe the only point in the game where it's just maybe it's time to finish it up. Maybe I should just go for Grunty right now. I don't need to get everything in this in this world. Like, I was... I, was, I wasn't that way with all the other worlds mm. in the first game. Or it's like, okay, I think I can 100% everything here. But, like, when I got to Click Clock Wood, after about an hour or two of just trying, trying, to, plat- trying to platform on some of those skinny-ass platforms and just not really knowing what to do, I was like, okay... Time to take on Grunty. I, I can I can leave this for later. There's some annoying like sections like that in um Rusty Bucket Bay as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't remember Rusty Bucket Bay being that as as kind as of as annoying. Complex. I think the main thing is like when you go inside the the boat and like the the um pipes and the engine stuff is sort of annoying. But I think I think Rusty Bucket Bay is uh, my favorite track. Like musically, mm. I think that was the one I was thinking about. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> that one's really good. Then you have levels like Mad Monster Mansion, which is like Ooh, really yeah, small and tight, and there's like things around, things to do around every corner, pretty much. Um, that one's that one's like I go back and forth on that one. Sometimes I, when I get to that one in the game, I'm like, ah, I don't really want to play this level. And then once you start sort of playing it, you sort of start to enjoy it more. I think. I think it's the mm-hmm. theme. I'm not like super crazy about the theme, but like, I end up liking the level overall. Yeah, Man Monster Mansion always kind of like always kind of gave me this uh, just cheesy theme park haunted house kind of vibe mm. to it, and I I just lo- I if if you know anything about me, I love cheesy theme park stuff. So that's just right up my alley. <laughs> just just talking just talking. Flower pots and organ music and spooky ghosts. Ooh. It's just, yeah, I love that stuff. So, Man Monster Mansion is definitely high up on my on my list of favorite Banjo Kazooie worlds. So yeah, I'll just like quickly mention how I ended up playing the game originally as well. I think okay. it was suggested to me by someone at school, and um, you know, a while later, I had I think I traded in a game or something, and I was looking at like secondhand games. I was like, ah, okay, I'll give Banjo a go. I started off sort of liking it, and then I got, like, a little further in, and I was like, oh, no, I'm not sure about this. It started to get sort of confusing, because I, I wasn't really that familiar with the, um, like, 3D platforming genre, mm-hmm. really. Like, the progression in Banjo-Kazooie was a bit weird for me sometimes. Because I, I think you can't... There is stuff in Banjo-Kazooie you have to... You can't get it unless you get a certain move. You've got to come back, right? Or can you do every level straight away? Because I think that threw me a little bit too, like the sort mm-hmm. of the non-linear progression of the moves and stuff. Yeah, uh, I, I did end up sort of liking it later on. Like I, me and me and a friend started playing through it like one night when he was over and stuff, and we had a 
pretty good time playing it. I never finished it on the 64, though. I got to, like, uh, probably around Rusty Bucket Bay, Click Clock Woods, and then I sort of just... It got too hard, and I'd stop playing it on the 64. Probably also because, yeah, the notes reset every time you, um, yeah, die or leave the mm. level. So it was sort of annoying to have to redo everything if you die, and it's easy to die on the later levels. Yeah, I, I like I said, I can't even imagine how frustrated how frustrated kids must have been if they lost a life. I mean, maybe I mean maybe back then kids just had more time to <laughs> to play those games, so it wasn't really much of a factor because it's also you know, you know they were coming kids. O- coming off the era like the past eras like was closer to like the sixteen bit era and the eight bit era and stuff. So like people like my age were like being what. I was like, when I played it, I was probably like 11 or 12 or something. But um, mm. I had grown up playing like Sonic the Hedgehog and all that sort of stuff. So I was used to sort yeah, of biting you... my head against the wall. Like when you die in yeah. Sonic the Hedgehog, you got to start the whole game again. Like when you lose yeah. all your lives. So. Yeah, I think it was just the fact that uh, there weren't like those kinds of standards of game progression uh, that we, you know, take for granted today. Like, you know, how it just saves after every minuscule thing. Yeah. And doesn't really take, it doesn't really punish you too much for dying. It just, it's just more of a minor inconvenience. But back then, I guess it wasn't really that much of a standard because most people who were playing that game Mm. were playing, were already used to that on like Nintendo and Super Nintendo. And for how annoying some of that stuff is, like, over, like, sometimes, but like, there is a, a tension that is lost with games today because like you just mm-hmm. sort of you're not as tense when you're fighting or doing or doing something because yeah you're like, oh well if i die i'll just be back here in 30 seconds anyway or, or less you might re- restart right right there yeah yeah oh, no, exactly. they, it was tougher back then <laughs> yeah yeah because it because there was like there was actual consequence for you yeah know, you're like up. you're on one piece of health and you're like no 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 don't die don't die like, like if you if you're mm-hmm. on like 95 notes on banjo kazooie and you got hit by something and you're down to one honeycomb and you just like couldn't find any more honeycombs in the level the the, the tension was high like mm-hmm. yeah and uh go and talking about uh you know with ukulele there they don't they don't reset uh, any of the quills you collect no. or the pages yeah. or anything, but they do send you back to the very start of the level, mm. which I think is kind of a fairer compromise of is it's not it don't really it doesn't really feel like an outright punishment compared to some of the older games yeah, this, yeah. Uh, of that era, but at the same time it's still like you you kind you kind of t- you kind of uh take better care of yourself. You learn to start taking better care of your health and your powers and stuff like that because, you know, because you don't want to go all the way back Mm. because those levels are so big. I have found the having a similar feeling of tension in some of the ukulele stuff. Like, it's mainly coming from doing some of the challenges and, like, you're getting towards the end and you're like, I don't want to... I don't want the to fail i don't want to do it again i want to have mm-hmm. i just want to get it this part done with so like you're yeah, watching the yeah. timer count down you're like oh, 15 seconds left can i make it and you're sort of rushing mm-hmm. um like some of the some of the mini games are a bit like that too like you're just like oh, i just want to beat the stupid high score extra <laughs> just let me do it <laughs> um but yeah, that, it sort of brought a bit back a bit of that but without like yeah when you die there's no real consequence in ukulele yeah. Um, so yeah, 
what else um, on banjo could we could we bring up? I don't know. I mean, I think we think we covered a, like every like. I mean, I could talk about different, hmm. very, very specific aspects of Banjo Kazooie, but you know, I mean, the, over the past twenty years, I mean, a lot of people have, a lot of people have pretty much said what there, you know, needs to be said. Hmm. I mean, I I never really got to experience like the hype behind like the stop and swap feature. Yeah, so, yeah. I sort uh, of I, missed that as well. But yeah, you, you know what? I was kind of interested in that, so I got far enough in Banjo Kazooie where I. Th- isn't it like wasn't it like something where you can put your save data into Banjo Kazooie two or Banjo Tooie? Yeah, it was the basically basically how it worked. I guess the first models of the Nintendo sixty four like retained some memory once you shut it off, or at least if you pulled out a cartridge or something, and they figured out that if you put that that memory would retain itself uh, when you put in another cartridge. Like, so they, their plan was basically at one point in Banjo Kazooie, you would yank out the cartridge and put in Banjo Tooie and you would get that extra content if you found those up, if, and, or maybe it was vice versa. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, they were uh, going to interact ha- both ways, I think. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it was both ways. Like, you would be able to, un- you would be able to get the ice key and all those eggs and stuff through, by yanking out Banjo Tooie and putting in Banjo Kazooie. And you would get extra. I think there were like extra modes or items. I wasn't entirely sure. It was probably but, yeah, uh, uh, maybe like a, a couple of different areas or a couple of different items or something. Um, yeah, yeah, but it was never realized because um, yeah, there was like a ten. Originally, there was like a ten second window where you could do the hot swap of the cartridge, but like a revision of the N sixty four came out and it reduced it down to one second. So just they couldn't do it because not every yeah. console could run it. Yeah, which was unfortunate. But uh, I can I can understand I can understand why I mean I I would imagine that Nintendo probably wasn't really on board with that feature in the first place. It seems a bit like hacky or a bit weird, like yeah. yeah. And they and they and they didn't want to be responsible for like kids damaging their N sixty four somehow by like trying to yank it out too hard and it just like ends up tumbling off their shelf or <laughs> breaking or whatever. You know, thinking about it just then though, I wonder why they didn't consider just using the um like the controller pack. I wonder if they could have done it that way, like just save some of the data on the controller pack and then I think maybe I think it was just because uh it just felt more special by doing it that way. Yeah. Like yeah. they like you know a lot of a lot of those N64 games. I never really had any N64 game that used the memory card. So a lot uh, of third party games I, did I, it. Yeah, a lot um, of third party games did, but yeah, the games the games of, I had. I can't think of a game I used on the memory card. I don't think I even had one. Yeah, I don't think I ever I bought one either. I think maybe I bought. I think I bought some weird like third party hybrid rumble pack and memory card slot. Like the memory card slot went into the memory card went into the rumble pack, and he had like a little yeah. switch on it. But uh, I never really took advantage of that at all. Like I think maybe Gex was the only <laughs> was the only game <laughs> I knew that actually. Uh, used it because I remember playing it at uh, at this uh, youth center that I went to. It's like, oh yeah, the N64 had memory cards. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, it w- it was so great you could like hold like one ghost data for Mario Kart on it. Yeah. Or <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think that's what I ended up using that weird third party <laughs> memory card for. It's like, oh okay, I have something. Uh, here you can watch me play Wario Stadium poorly. So let's um move away from banjo a little bit and just 
maybe talk about like the genre of the like the subgenre of collectathons sort of in general like why do we think like what's appealing about them to you guys like why do you think people liked them back in the day and why like did they sort of fade away i think it's because um with the way worlds are now they're so deep and um they're deep enough to where you don't really need collectathons but back in the day these worlds compared to today's worlds um 3D worlds they're not that big so i think that it was maybe like a compensation in some ways yeah and, um, and yeah and i just it, it encouraged yeah it, it encouraged it, encour- it, it encouraged people to just like inspect every single nook and cranny yeah, of it, it's, the it, world it targeted it made sure players went through every single thing you need to do in that world so even though it's not that big, there's still a lot to do, and you have to go through every nook and cranny in order to find a, a piece or, or whatever. And, and there's a ton of stuff to collect in Banjo-Kazooie, and there's a ton of games that followed Banjo-Kazooie that did the same thing. Though. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were rare games, in fact. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not it's not like um, the worlds were were big, but they were, they were contained enough to where you can go around and you can find what you needed to find in. They weren't they weren't big, but they felt big. Yeah. And and going going on to the point of uh why why collectathons aren't really a thing these days, uh I I don't know if it's really just collecting things in games really went away as it more just got pushed to the side. Cause with how with how much games have advanced in not only not only technology but just combat in general, because like you know, when you have, you can have a platformer or you can have this big action game with mm. guns or swords or whatever. So, like, there's so many different, like, game mechanics and combat mechanics that, uh, people t- started taking more advantage of that, you know, jumping and maybe kicking weren't, like, I guess as quote unquote fashionable as, like, toting a gun everywhere or, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, I know a lot of games still have a ton of collectibles in them, like even like Assassin's Creed and Grand Theft Auto and pretty much any Ubisoft game. Uh, there's done, there's tons of stuff to collect, but they, you're just not really required. They're more of just like, hey, we gave you this little, this little trinket for, you know, exploring this thing. Even though a lot of those, a lot, a lot of games just have this, don't really take into account people that want to explore like they have this they have maybe one or two big missions or maybe a bunch of side quests and stuff where you know you have a specific destination where you need to go and they mark it on your map and at least to me when i when i play missions like that i'm just looking at that map i'm not really i'm not really exploring the world Mm. per se like i'm just uh, i just have a waypoint and i'm being directed towards where i need to go so i need to I, to me, it's just, okay, I just need to go there. So I'm not, like, stopping to look at everything because I know there's not really going to be anything helpful to me. And that's I think that's the main difference between modern games and games like Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Tooie and DK64, where the whole point of those games was to explore and find things to help you along your way. Yeah. Whereas just you have pretty much everything you need via side quests or main quests or just everything you need from the get-go mm. because you don't really find you don't 
there's not really a ton of games where you find weapons or you find new abilities or things. I mean, unless you spend whatever currency or points that you get during the missions at a, at a specific store. Hmm. I think it also like comes down to like why the genre sort of originated as well was like yeah it started with Mario 64 but the reason or well, Mario 64 like the reason Mario 64 sort of had collectibles like the stars and stuff was because they couldn't make a ton of worlds so they had to reuse the same worlds to fill out the game and then mm. Benjo Kazooie and the rest of them sort of just followed suit like um Probably also due to that that reason as well. Like you can have like what's eight or nine worlds, and if there was like like one or two things to collect in each one, you'd be done with the game in like half an hour. Um, yeah, and like they couldn't just keep making worlds because of you know memory constraints and all that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. it sort of I guess it was born out of that. And then you know why do people sort of enjoy just the collecting in general? And I was thinking the other day, like. It's sort of like a, a weird tangent in a way, but like there's like people like speak about how you know people become like addicted to like like Twitter and like um, checking notifications and stuff and Facebook and all that sort of thing, right? It's because every time you get like a little like or, in, or an email, if you get like an email and you send see like oh you got a new email, you got a new tweet or something, you get that little hit of like. Um, endorphins or whatever it is to like yeah to i mean a lot of it has yeah and i think yeah collecting notes and stuff works the same way in these collectathon games like yeah if you like go for the extended period of time without getting notes and stuff you might start to like, sort of get tired of it and you're just like ah, oh, you know you just want that next hit of like that collecting thing mm-hmm. and i think a lot of it has to do with the sound design like not yeah. only with the music but just the sound and fe- like even something as something like yeah, collecting a is, collecting it, a line of notes. It has to in feel a... good. It has to feel good to collect something. Yeah, and it has to feel rewarding. And I feel like yeah. stuff when it comes to like Banjo Kazooie and to a lesser extent Banjo Tooie, it just felt good mm. to collect something because you got you got a little music cue or a dance or you know a little just a nice uh, just a pleasant jaunty tune. Yeah. I, and I say that specifically of Banjo-Kazooie, but, like, in Banjo-Tooie, I feel like a lot of that stuff was kind of... There was, there was a few things they kind of abridged, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Like, they, like, the note, like, collecting notes, I felt was, like, a little, sh- like, the little tune that happened was a little shorter, and you didn't get really get, like, a victory dance after you collected a jiggy. Yeah. Uh, and everything just felt, like, a little snappier. Which I understand why they wanted to do that. They want because I understand why they want to do that, but at the same time, it just didn't feel as rewarding to me mm. uh, compared to the first game. I used to like collecting the gingers because I liked the little tune that. Yeah, and they ran away. Yeah, yeah. I like collecting those too. Um, but yeah, um, there needs to be incentive to all these collecting things and. Mm-hmm. To me, I never, I never like really completed collecting them because there wasn't. I mean, there's stuff you could uh, get, I think, by unlocking all that stuff, but or collecting all that stuff. But I think there just needs to be sort of an incentive to it, and I never not collected them. I I collected them, but I didn't really feel like completing it. If that makes mm. any sense, like like every time I I would go out and collect stuff, it. it I would, 
I would try to, but it wasn't like I would go back and collect every single thing. See, I would like uh, try like so, I don't like yeah. I'm sort of like OCD with the if I look through the menus and yeah. I'm missing like one thing on a level or two things, I'm just like oh, I want that. I want that page of totals to look nice and like ten out of ten yeah, complete, sort of exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah. If I'm if I'm like maybe one or two away from completing it, I will make sure that I complete it. But if yeah. if I'm at a point, if I'm at a point in a, in a level where it's like maybe I only have like forty something. And I'm not really feeling. If I'm not really feeling like exploring this level yeah. any further, I could just I'll just move on. Yeah. And maybe come back to it later if I feel up to completing it. And you know, I feel like that's a good that's a good uh, thing about Banjo Kazooie as well, where you didn't have to collect everything. Like a lot of people, a lot of people like to you know dump on these old collectathon games as if you need to collect as if you needed yeah, to collect every you don't, single thing. Yeah. But you don't really need to. I mean, it's just it just feels really good to do it, and it feels really rewarding to do it. Uh, but I don't feel like collecting things, like collect collecting a lot of things, isn't is inherently bad mm-hmm. per se. It just has it. It's just a lot of games did it in really bad, annoying ways. But uh, stuff like Banjo Kazooie and even like Donkey Kong 64. A lot of people crap on Donkey Kong 64, but uh, I f- I felt I felt way more satisfied co- finding every single thing in that game because it was just hard. It was it felt it felt like I was beating the game in its own game because of how frustrating <laughs> how frustrating certain goals were yeah. and how frustrating certain aspects were. As a kid, being able to just completely overpower the game in spite of the game felt really good to me. And uh, yeah, a lot of pe- a lot of games don't really have that same sense of just reward for just you know doing what doing what you need to do to get it because they just throw out every kind of collectible imaginable and it doesn't really matter in the long run. Yeah. I mean, like again, like DK sixty four. When you sort of start in getting into it, and you sort of realize the scope of the, how much stuff there is, you just like it is a bit daunting. But then, yeah, once you if you go for like getting everything, just like hey, yeah, I've, I've got everything. Like, mm-hmm. geez, yeah, I mean, I've, I do come, that? I've come this, I've come, I've come this far. Yeah, you know, might as well see it out to the end. And like, ukulele is good. Like better than Banjo-Kazooie and stuff in, like, terms of if you get sick of doing something, you can just move on because the requirements to get to the different worlds and stuff is so low. You could unlock all the worlds and then just pick and choose sort of what you want until you get to the... Yeah, um... which I actually really appreciate because I was... I was... I was focused on trying to get every single thing in the first world before I started moving on to the next one. Which you can't do. But... Which, yeah, which I soon figured out you can't really do. But I like the feeling that, like, okay, I'm kind of bored with what's going on here because I don't really know what I need to do. But I can go up to the next one and, and you know, start exploring more. And it's like, oh, wait, I have this power now. I can, oh, I can go back there and yeah. do that. Yeah, so it, become, it becomes a better incentive to just keep going forward uh, in terms of just discovering new stuff. But at the same time, it's just like you don't need to do that if you don't want to. But it's a uh, yeah, it's just a nice feeling, mm. and that's it was, it was, and it's, it's just I feel traits. like Sorry, I like those traits where 
it's like you don't need to complete an entire world in one sitting. You can just complete enough to where you can move on to the next one. I, I always really like that in 3D yeah. platformers. It doesn't push you to one direction. It and allows you to make the choices. Exactly. And I feel like that's the big thing, the big takeaway when it comes to why these games kind of died off. And why maybe a lot... Like, a, why these games aren't really made that much anymore. Because I feel like a lot of companies didn't really understand what made it feel good to collect that stuff. And it, we all talk about Super Mario 64. We all talk about Banjo-Kazooie. And people continue to talk about those games to this day. People don't talk about Tack and the Power of Juju. Oh, or Ty the Tasmanian Tiger. <laughs> No, they talk because those games aren't really that memorable yeah. unless unless that was maybe the only game you had. Mm. But uh people but it's like people still talk about Banjo-Kazooie and Super Mario 64 and Donkey Kong 64 and even stuff like Sly Cooper and uh Jack and Daxter on PS2 is because they knew what they were doing. They knew collecting things had to feel good. They had to feel rewarding, and they had to have some incentive to actually, you know, continue to go. And I feel like a lot of companies just kind of were seeing what Banjo-Kazooie and Jack and Daxter and Mario 64 were doing, but they didn't really... They thought the collecting thing and jumping was enough. Yeah. They didn't really they take into... They were doing with sales. And then they mm-hmm. went in a direction where, oh, what if I uh, make this goofy animal into a platforming star, I will sell lots of copies. Yeah, we'll and... sell lots of copies. And but like, in the end, it, it just it doesn't it work just, like that, though. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't work like that at all. And and I feel like that's why the genre died is because there were so so many of those games that just felt pointless, considering you had all these games that were just defying the platformer genre like because you ha- because there was so much more technology so many more engines to work with so many more genres that you can you know tackle like really really well like you know act with uh and they were just com- they were just basically combining what was great about those games with whatever game they had like whether it's a shooter or an action adventure game like God of War or something like that where it's just you had those collectibles, but it's like that was just kind of a side thing. Yeah, because it took it. It was just basically it took a backseat to, you know, the combat, and the combat was basically I feel like is probably the most important factor in this too, because why would why would anybody want to make a game where you can where all you all you do is just run or jump or roll when you can have these badass swords and guns and stuff like that and all these different mechanics and combos you can do and have these just theatrical uh, cinematic uh, finishing moves and just not even finishing moves, but just regular moves as well. It just felt it, people, I guess, I guess the market was more kind of gearing towards things being more complex when it come, when it came to, you know, how you play games like mm. that and, People didn't really, people didn't really appreciate the simplicity of, because they saw, they saw a game, they saw those platformer games, and like, oh, that's just, that's just too simple and dumb. And, you know, even publishers and developers were kind of shying away from stuff like that. And like, even Rareware, like, if you, if you hear them talk about, you know, why, 
Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts happened was because they misread the market. They didn't think anybody wanted just a simple platformer. They wanted something more with more complexity and, you know, what's more complex than cars, really. I just feel with Nuts and Bolts, they completely misread what people wanted with a third Banjo-Kazooie game. Mm. On, the, like on the surface, I mean, like, I, I don't like Nuts and Bolts that much, but I can see that it's a quality game. Um, and, like, on the surface, it's not. it feels like it's nothing really connected to Banjo-Kazooie, but in a weird way, it has some of the... You're still, like, going after characters and doing a challenge, and you're still sort of yeah. exploring the world. You're doing a lot of the same things. It's just you're not doing it as it's just, it's, running it, and jumping. It's, you're not... Yeah, you're not doing it in a way that people wanted. wanted you yeah, to I mean, like, the car... Do, driving around the car now isn't as much fun as, like, doing all the yeah. moves that... The, the thing do. is, I could, I could forget all that if it was actually, like, a fun game, but it's not. Mm. I, always not wanted, I always wanted to give that game a try just out of curiosity's sake, because... You know, it is still it is still starring Banjo Kazooie and Gruntilda and all those characters, but like I, because I still I still love that the world that those games take place in and all those characters. Yeah. So it'd be nice to it'd be nice to try that once uh, one of these days. Because I I still don't have an Xbox One, but I do have a copy of Rare Replay because I just ordered that I just ordered that in the hopes that I would get an Xbox One sometime soon. Yeah, I'm and gonna, I'm, I'm gonna li- buy Rare Replay as well. Like, yeah. you I know down what? the track I ha- like it is Xbox One but... I have Rare Replay but I completely forgot the nuts and bolts was on there. <laughs> so now I kinda of feel like I have to like play it again. I mean if you go into I'll give it a shot. I mean I feel like there are people that praise it. I mean they're Odd, but <laughs> odd as that may be, like you know, even like the giant bomb people, they they actually love nuts and bolts compared to like the first two Banjo Kazooie games, which I think is insane. But you know, hey, that's their prerogative. Um, but uh, no, I actually think it does look neat in the same way that uh, I don't know if you guys ever played this game on these on the old Windows PCs. I think it was called Gadgets and Gizmos. Mm. No. It, was a comp- it was by a company called The Learning Company. They made these, like, super solvers games. They were, like, these kind of semi-educational games where it teaches hmm. you, like, reading comprehension or math. And there was one in particular called Gadgets and, Gadgets and Gizmos where it taught you about physics. And basically you had to beat you had to beat this uh, insane professor guy uh, in these series of races. And you had to, like, go around and solve these physics problems and build these cars and different kinds of air vehicles and stuff like that depend. And it all kind of, it was all like physics based. Like, you know, you had to figure out like aerodynamics and how, how they would fly and different things like that. And I thought that was, I thought uh, when I saw nuts and bolts for the first time, when I thought it was like, Oh, so it's like kind of a next gen version of gadgets and gizmos. That's, an interesting take. You know, everybody's favorite Windows game. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, Nuts and Bolts isn't a bad game. It's just, yeah, like, it sort of missed the mark for, like, Banjo fans that were, at the time, like, really holding starved. out for Banjo 3E. Like, I think that's what sort of killed it as well. Like, if Banjo 3E, 3E had come out in, like, 2005 and then Nuts and Bolts came out in 2007, I think it would have been received much better. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it's just they they a lot of rare fans were just in denial of rare still being good as a developer. 
because they they made some questionable games. In oh, I mean, very they were all like kind of varying in quality. I mean, I thought Viva Pinata was really good, but like stuff like I, I love by Viva the, Pinata, stuff like Grabbed by the Ghoulies and and uh, what was that? What was a launch title Perfect Dark Zero? Yeah, I felt like yeah. disappointed a lot of people. I and think it's when they went into the Connect stuff and they started just being a Connect developer. I think that's when people were like, uh, I think Rare seen it's it's uh, best days behind it. And, and yeah. it sort of feels like it felt like with Rare Replay coming out that like okay they're sort of like pushing the reset button on Rare. They're gonna launch this game and then they're gonna come out swinging with like a bunch of like games again and like be sort of try and build themselves up as like a powerhouse developer again but yeah since then, I, they're nothing hope, they're, like, they're still working on sea of thieves i mean <laughs> yeah and i hope see i hope sea of thieves thieves is great because i thought i think that concept is great yeah and i hope they really pull it off because they they really did kind of piss off a lot of their fans like i don't know if you guys remember but there was a there was a website i think it was called uh it might have been mundo rare it was a fan website. I think it was like a, a Spanish fan website that they oh, wanted I, to do. I, I, they wanted to do a documentary that. on Rareware, like during like during their connect their connect years, and they wanted to talk about all their past stuff. But Rareware denied their request to do the documentary mm. because it wasn't quote on message. Yes, yeah, that's, that's enough. Yeah. Because I guess they want. I guess for whatever reason they wanted their image to be. You know, they want they wanted to be like the Wii crowd. They wanted to be they wanted to be like a Wii kind of developer. It's like, oh, we're family friendly sports. Uh, getting up, getting up, and having fun. Uh, we don't talk we don't talk about those crude bears and squirrels anymore. <laughs> no, no, no. That's that. Th- those were our wild college days. No, we're grown up now. We have kids. But anyway, um, so anything else you guys want to add about sort of? banjo or the, the the genre in general um i think we've sort of covered a lot of it there mm-hmm. uh i i'm just really hoping uh stuff like ukulele and the upcoming hat in time definitely start makes people realize what made this genre sp- so special i mean hey like mario odyssey is coming into the year if that's oh yeah that, that's probably gonna you know show everyone what a modern day 3d platformer like you know, mm-hmm. Mario 64 is going to be like now. Um, yeah. I mean, people, I mean, I don't think platformers never really died. They were just kind of pushed to the side. Like people, people forget how good a really good platformer could be. Actually, that's what I was going to say. Um, like in the early 2000s, around the time of like Mario Sunshine and stuff, like a lot of people, including myself, were like, okay, I'm kind of getting tired of the um the the these platforming games that aren't very tight, don't have don't feature tight platforming, like hard, challenging, just pure platforming. Um, as much like you know they had platforming, but like it was spaced out a lot more than say like you know Mario Galaxy stuff, which like Nintendo you know started going towards for the last uh, since Mario Galaxy. So it's been about ten years mm-hmm. of sort of Nintendo going, okay, let's bring back the like just pure platforming with no frills sort of like stuff to it and now they're going to go sort of back the other direction and explore the uh the more laid back sort of exploratory nature of 3D platformers which yeah is, which I and do I, I I feel like yeah now I'm sort of like I'm sort of getting tired of the tight platforming and sort of like okay and you know I I wouldn't mind having something a bit more open and a bit more relaxed now 
Um, yeah, I think I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that so like I don't know if you remember back in the GameCube days where you know there were a lot of kind of experimental like Nintendo was very experimental with their main with their main games like they weren't really playing to what like the quote unquote what the fans wanted yeah like everything was just oh this is gimmicky stupid j- stupid jetpack I don't I don't like the du- double carts and the stupid cell shaded Zelda and stuff like that mm-hmm. and I feel like that kind of that kind of scared Nintendo a little bit because they couldn't really because I don't I don't think they really wanted to like take those kinds of risks with their genres anymore because you know the GameCube didn't really do that well and you know it was a struggle to get a get a copy of a game selling a million copies mm. and so yeah so they just went back to basics for a while they just had these no frills just tight controlling platformers because that's what people that's what people were clamoring for for the longest time and now new are, super mario brothers that's ex- exactly what it is right exactly yeah like especially new super mario brothers because people were clamoring for a new super mario brothers game like yeah. they wanted a new side scroller game because the only things they the only Mario games they were putting out on the GBA were either the RPGs or, yeah. you know, remakes of the NES and Super Nintendo games. I mean, by the time and New Super Mario Brothers on DS came out, it had been 10 years since Yoshi's Island, so... Mm-hmm. Like... And, yeah, and I feel like people ended up getting tired of those games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, wasn't and- that, it wasn't very new, and then they released, like, three sequels, and they weren't very new either. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, so I think this is probably the right. It, it is the right time for them to kind of take that more exploratory kind of jump with their franchise. See, uh, see I, I think mean, they they um they've taken the the tight sort of platforming like structure like as far as they can possibly take it. If they just made mm-hmm. another one of those, it would be very similar to 3D World or Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Like it would, it's not really much more headroom I think there for them to explore at the moment. But like. Going back the other way, there's a lot of they they can sort of think about design wise and like you know there's a lot more room for improvement or different different ideas in the the, the opposite way, which they're obviously mm-hmm. doing with Mario Odyssey. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you look at their YouTube channel, the Mario Odyssey trailer is their most viewed game trailer like in their entire channel's history. So I think yeah, they are they picked the exact right time to go back to, go back to that style mm-hmm. cuz they knew that's what people really wanted so we'll see we'll see how that plays out and you know i hope i hope stuff like you know mario odyssey ukulele and you know other games just kind of follow suit and just kind of let people and just give people what they want is just to explore a fun world and and i like I said, I'm just I'm just hoping that it, it pays off in the end. Yeah, I, I'm I really hope that like ukulele sells okay for Platonic because I really don't want them to like struggle to survive after yeah, one game. Yeah, me too. But I really want to see mean, they're, them they're... like you know go forward and do it, make improvements and sort of find their feet again. Yeah, the one thing I'm kind of worried about with ukulele is the dumb controversy that's surrounding it. Mm. I, I, yeah, I mean, like, I'm not gonna go into details because you, everybody, everybody, yeah, everybody knows, and it's already been talked to death. But uh, ukulele, I, I will say that ukulele deserves way, way more credit than people are trying to, people are trying to 
make of it. Like people are trying to paint this as a mighty number nine. Yeah, yeah, level disaster. I not get that. Like if if you listen to this and you you like thinking I'm not going to buy ukulele because it's a dumpster fire. Just fig- don't don't listen to that sort of thing. Like it's, yeah, it's, because pe- people it's at are least just, people just average. Like for whatever reason, people just want a controversy. They want something to fail because they got such a thrill out of the Ouya and Mighty Number no. Nine and stuff like that of how much failure there was with that, and they want to paint that same kind of. They want there to be that kind of controversy mm. with something like this too because of that stupid friggin' reason. And they want to just, like, hammer down, like, oh, see, 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 that person said that, so that means it sucks. And it's just like, I, I, I hope it doesn't hurt Platonic in the long run, because they made, they made, in all honesty, they made a good game. Yeah. They yeah. didn't, they delivered on what they promised. I mean, I have and, some legals here and there, but, like, I would say it's a solid game. Like, it's exactly. nothing, oh, nothing overly wrong with it. I mean, there's room for improvement, but, um, it's... Exactly what they promised, and yeah, they they set they set out to make an N sixty four style platformer, and guess what? They made an N sixty four style platformer for better or for worse. Yeah, the <laughs> the whole point was to basically make Banjo three. I mean, that was pretty much their stated goal. I mean, if they strayed too mm-hmm. far from you know trying to reinvent the wheel, people probably would have called them out on it then too. Yeah, yeah. Um. You know, the sad thing is, with all the controversy, it's just, you know, outrage culture is kind of in, and that could be for both sides of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's going to happen. It's this kind of day and age where that's the norm, and it sucks, but, uh, I, I mean, you know, I the, for what I've seen, I can't get the thing that, you know, this is, like, too much borrowing from Banjo-Kazooie, and I kind of get that. I understand why it's but, you know, that's what people backed on Kickstarter. They wanted mm-hmm. a sequel, a spiritual sequel, I guess you can call it. Mm-hmm. A spiritual sequel to Banjo-Kazooie, and this and they were And it. they weren't shying away from that, either. They, no. they knew exactly what they were making. They knew exactly... Yeah. People knew exactly what they were donating towards, and they knew exactly what they were getting. And to see all these people just surprised at, you know, the fact that it's what it is, is just silly. And you know, you know what I say to have. You know what I want. You know what I want to say to all this controversy, all this negativity. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I agree. And I think on that note, we'll uh, we'll wrap up the episode. So thanks, guys, for for joining me on this discussion. It was pretty fun. Yeah, it was a yeah, lot of fun. Yeah, awesome. thanks for having me. I I know I haven't really been like you know I I I kind of resigned from NWR like about a year ago at this point, but. Uh, it's still, yeah, I still would love to continue to keep in touch with you guys, and, you know, I, if you ever want me on for another, uh, for another segment, I'd definitely be glad to. This is, I kind of forgot how fun this was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'll have you on again, Kurt. So Awesome. Yep. Alrighty, thanks everyone for listening, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can do so at connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com, or we are on Twitter, which is at connectivitynwr. So with that, we'll say goodbye, and yeah, thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. Bye. Start, bloop, 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 exit game.
Thank you.